One more time, the final round of our World Cup previews where we will look at groups G and H. Eric Alcantar here with Emmett McConnell, and we're here to talk all things World Cup one last time before the tournament starts. Same thing as the last three episodes we're going to go through, and we're going to talk about our expectations for each group and give you just a little bit of taste of what the broadcast sounded like on their road to the World Cup. So we'll begin in Group G with Belgium, Panama, Tunisia, and England. So we'll start then with one of those teams that has gone from sexy dark horse to a legitimate contender, Belgium. They were barely tested in qualifying, cruising to qualification nine points ahead of Greece, having won nine games and drawn one. Their place was confirmed by a 2-1 win over Greece. Here is how it sounded, the goal by Romelu Lukaku. Attenzione a Lukaku! Lukaku! Momento incredibile della gara. Yeah, so uh, before I keep sucking any more air out of this, Emmett, you want to you wanna weigh in here on anything? Oh, I'm, hey, how's it going, everybody? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I did that whole intro. We, they went a minute without hearing your voice. That, I think a lot of people I, were concerned they about They were you. very worried with good reason. This is, that I was uh, just talking to myself. Yeah, that's. I thought you were just. I thought you were just going to keep going for the whole episode. <laughs> Thing with this Belgium team that kind of separates them from their kind of, as you said, sexy dark horse pick. Yep, is the best they, kind. They now have, I would say, a, a solid handful of their players are now kind of reaching their potential and entering the best form that you know we've seen. We could see out of them or would expect. I think with De Bruyne being the first one, he. Probably could get even better, which is astounding considering that was a how scary good he thought. is. But like his season at uh, Manchester City kind of established him as one of the most dangerous and exciting center mids in the world. Um, Aiden Hazard's been at this level for a while, so I think that's just kind of what you same, expect from him now. Same old thing. But Toby Alderweireld, since the last World Cup, has become one of the best center backs in the world. Um, Ditto next- for Jan Vertonghen. Yeah, but I think during the last one, he was still a highly regarded one who still had some learning to do. Company was still up there. So those are two. Company, at least, uh, and Courtois were both pretty highly regarded. But like Thomas Munier at right back. Right, he's kind of, he's come on the scene at playing PSG, for PSG, even as a bit time, uh, part-time player, I should say. Has been PSG, ab- yeah. absolutely electric. Uh, and then the last one I, I do want to point out is Dries Mertens, who's always been kind of you know a, a decent player for them, uh, for anyone he played at. But then kind of in this last year under uh, under Sarri at Napoli, he's just become absolutely electric, kind of playing in a false nine position, and basically has become... I, I think it's pretty equal on the other side to Hazard as a threat. It's not like this is a team that has to go through Hazard to create something. They do have Mertens on the other side. They do have De Bruyne behind them. They do have Mounier and Carrasco on the wings to support oh. them. It's There's a lot of... <laughs> Directions that this team can attack from, and Lukaku, on the other hand, isn't just a goal scorer anymore. He also creates. So that's the biggest threat they have, I think, right now is that they've so many options to create a create a goal. There you go. That's that long-winded explanation of Belgium I was looking for to buy some time. Yeah, no, look, it, it, for me, you mentioned one guy, Yannick Carrasco. Now, I, I watched plenty of Atletico Madrid this season while he was still there, and you know his his drop off in form was actually kind of shocking. And you know he went to China. I haven't watched a single minute of his play in China, so you know forgive me if I'm not exactly up to date in what he's doing lately. But as a left wing back, I can't. I just don't get that. I 
I guess it's out of necessity. He's a hard worker, but out of necessity, I, I just don't see it. I don't know if that's going to work because he, he provides a lot in attack. And so when they're pressing teams high, he's going to contribute to the attack in ways that I think that the average left wing back is just simply incapable of doing. Well, that said, I think that he's a defensive liability and he's going to put a lot of pressure on those center backs to do their jobs and kind of fill in the spaces behind them. And the reality is De Bruyne, you know, he, he puts in some defensive work, but you want him in the attacking third of the fields where he does his best work. Weitzel, another player that we've sort of you know, not talked too much about, he's pretty good, but again, not exactly known for his, you know, defensive. He's a consummate professional. He works yeah, hard. He'll work hard. He'll be there. He's not a bad player. But you're asking a lot, I think, of mistakes. those three defenders in the back, and then, you know, Mounier is He'll put in he'll put in some good work defensively too. You're not going to ask Mertens or Hazard to track back, I wouldn't think. I think what the this formation kind of does is it allows Carrasco to it allows him to be a liability in a certain way and have a backup because Vertonghen does have some experience kind of playing as a left fullback. Uh, company and Oliveira can slide in and be two center backs, and Munier can drop back, and he does have experience being a right fullback. So it can look at times as a four four two where Mertens is going to play kind of right mid with Vitzel, De Bruyne, and Carrasco uh, alongside him, and then kind of Hazard playing under Lukaku. So it does have that ability if things don't seem to be... If Carrasco kind of seems to be isolated. And on the other side, Vertonghen, who isn't exactly uh, as quick, has a guy like Carrasco who can help him with pace. So there are options to, where different players can help each other out. I do agree in the midfield they're going to be... They're going to have options to be exposed. Players are going to be able to get in between the lines and run at that back line, and that's where they're susceptible, and I think that's their biggest weakness, and ha- the reason why they, I don't think they're going to win this tournament is because... Teams can get after them there. It, all it, yeah, it, teams will just teams will know they can just need to get between the lines there, attack uh, attack between company, Aldo Reald, or Vertonghen, uh, and overload the middle, and De Bruyne and Witzel are going to, you know, if they play a midfield th- against a midfield three, they're going str- to struggle. Yeah, and here's the other thing, too, and one of the things I wanted to mention... Was you know you talked about the midfield? I, I think that it's important to note that their lack of depth could be something that comes into play here because their center backs are, are talented, but Alderweireld and Vertonghen and company have all kind of been dealing with injuries. One injury to these guys, and we're talking about Thomas Vermillion slotting in as a center back if they want to continue with that three center back look, right? I you know I think a lot of people forget he's even on Barcelona anymore. He just he's just kind of there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, also, Dedrick Boyata, uh, a guy who could slot in, but would also be a, a downgrade by all accounts. Yes. So, I think that and the and that's basically it. By the way, we just named every single defender on the roster. I think Boyata, I think, is going to be more likely to slot in. I think Martinez trusts him a little bit more because he's been playing uh, at Celtic. On the other side, they could just switch to a back four if company do that. who's kind of consistently injured or out of Harold who struggled with injury problems this year picks up a knock. I wouldn't be surprised if they see him go there. If that's the case though, who's going to play left back? Exactly. They, they would have to throw Boyata in or Vermalen because they don't have that left back. Um, so I don't know that it's, they have strong defenders, I think individually, but as a unit, I'm not so sure how they're going to be able to hold up long term. It's like I said, it's just the, the injuries that, you know, these, these things happen at tournaments and in the midfield, Going back to that, you know, if something happens to De Bruyne or something happens to Weitzel, we're talking about Mauron Fellaini and Moussa Dembele, a player who is not very well regarded by the current manager of Belgium. 
it's a it's a massive downgrade. You know, Dumbelli is a fairly talented individual, and you know, Fellaini. We can make all the jokes we want. He is, he's at least a proven, known quantity that you know he's probably not going to do anything too dumb. I mean, as dumb as he's going to get is going to be maybe throwing a a, a stray elbow. He he will probably stray. be one of the <laughs> one of the first guys off the bench. All things considered, if Locked they do need again. a goal. Or to lock down the game, a guy oh, who can well, sit that's back. That's true. Yeah, I see what your point is. Right on the side, protect the defense. He's so big and or come up and almost play as another as a second forward if need be. So, um, Dembele, I'm a huge fan of Dembele. I think he's a quality player. I think he's probably the only guy in this team who could step into De Bruyne's role if needed, uh, and still kind of be energetic and all over the place. Incredibly difficult to get the ball off him. He's not a great passer of the ball, but he can basically carry the ball to wherever he needs to get it to and just hand it off to them. That's how good he is on the ball and how tough he is um so i don't the De- bruyne has been playing non-stop for a long time now exactly so i don't think i'm assuming that he's gonna kind of still be good to go i'm not too worried about that but i am worried about i i don't think that after that they have n- nearly enough quality of the players coming off the bench to make an impact yeah i think that the depth might be where there could be a faltering, especially if there's any kind of you know injury bug, and yeah, these things happen at the tournament. So we will see how it goes for them. Obviously, we hope everybody's 100% healthy. We want the teams to go at it at you know the highest level they possibly can. Yeah. We move on then to Panama. Here's how they got here. You can, in a sense, by the way, make the case that Panama are here and they are occupying the spot the United States would have had. The United States just got a draw in Trinidad and Tobago. They would have the uh, finish in third. Honduras would have been knocked out, and Panama would be in fourth in the uh, Intercontinental Playoff. Yeah, which I, I believe they probably would have given Australia a better game than Honduras did, but that's neither here nor there. Their qualification was sealed thanks to this crazy goal on that crazy night by Roman Torres against Costa Rica. Cooper la tiene pelota arriba para Matador, deja la cabeza al medio para Roman, 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 Roman. Yeah, it's you. Uh, I don't think I need to tell you how emotional that goal was for all those people. Just four years removed from that horrible, their own nightmare of a night when they were on the cusp of qualifying for the Interconfederation playoff, only to melt down against the U.S. at the very last minute. But talent-wise, they're a bit weak. It's their first World Cup ever for this country that's kind of been a steady force in CONCACAF for many years. Uh, some people on the outside, they might know you know, Blas Perez and Luis Tejada, who have been scoring goals for Panama for the better part of the last decade. They're both older than 35, though, and that could be what, why you know Gabriel Torres is the man asked to play up top for them. Uh, the fact is, they're just they're going to sit in and they're going to invite the pressure. They have their own 5-4-1 going for them in a lot of cases so it's again it's not really a a dynamic team there aren't too many players that i would jump to as you know mainstays the guy who scored the main goal here was a center back who darted up the field at the end of the game knowing they needed a goal and scored a pretty good one i would argue he's probably one of probably their best player roman torres of the seattle sounders um they have some names that i think if you were a european 
uh, kind of watching from the side, you would never recognize in the right. 100. They have a lot. Panama, I believe, but, have the most MLS players. I think that's right. They have about three. I would is that that, that might be correct. Um, Anibal Godoy of the Earthquakes, uh, very good center mid. Um, in my mind, he works hard. He's a decent passer of the ball. He's strong, bit good in the air. He'll be really important in this team, just not getting absolutely destroyed by every team they face. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, is, I guess, okay. a little unfair because they did qualify. It's true. It's true. It's their first World Cup, too. So I imagine they're the, the number one goal for them, I would think, is to get a point at the World Cup next, right? Because, you know, if you work life in goals, the goal was always to qualify. Now that they're finally there, I would guess that they'd hazard to try to get a point out of it. And then you can try to work your way up to a win. Maybe steal something from Tunisia, I think, is their best possibility. That's Yeah, I think that might be their best. But not that that's an easy game by any stretch. Though, no, I think I'm wrong. They have six... Um, they definitely have more than five. Three, I'm five, sure. five MLS players. We mentioned Roman Torres, the Sounders. Adolfo Machado of uh, Houston Dynamo has been okay this year. I wouldn't expect to see him make too much of an impact. Uh, I'm a big fan of Michael Murillo of the Red Bulls, uh, right back. Really highly talented player, fit right in that Jesse Marsh system. Honestly, if anything comes, if anything's created from this team, I think it's going to be something making it, some fullback making it over overlap like Murillo who's going to put a ball in the box and honestly they just kind of have big forwards in Perez and uh, Torres and Tejada so hopefully they can just you know get something scrappy that's that's what they're going to hope for is some scrappy goals one more defender I wanted to highlight uh, Fidel Escobar from the New York Red Bulls he's he is I think one for the future for them he's 23 years old he's already got 23 caps I he he plays so well for Jesse Marsh and I, he's going to be well coached coming in already I don't, I, you know, it would obviously be his first time on the big stage, so I, I will like to see how he handles it. But I, I, I truly think that in the next couple of years, he might be in line for a move somewhere bigger if he continues on his path. Because again, he's such a consistent player for them. And, you know, coming to MLS now, it's kind of put him at a bigger stage where it allows him to, I think, grow. I, one of the things that that night in Trinidad was made of was partly because I think that while MLS hasn't necessarily made the United States team better, I think it has very clearly made a lot of the rest of CONCACAF a lot better. Yeah. It's given them a place to send their players where, you know, not to say that that's the ultimate goal for them, but the reality is for a lot of them, it's the highest league they'll ever play in. And it's not a bad thing for them because there's, there's more money in it. Yeah, there's more money in for them. It gives people a new place to try to go to, you know, because before the Mexican League has never been a destination, at least not recently and at least not in the last 10 or 15 years for Central American talent. The clubs there are much more interested in buying in in South America. It's hard to make it in South America if you're, you know, a Central American player because that's a pretty high quality in and of itself. Making it to Europe, I mean, there were a select few that would come through. And now MLS I think gives them a place to play against competition that again is not as good as South America and it's not as good as as Europe but a, a consistent level that is higher than those of the Central American leagues. And they, they I get think this is I think Panama is like the perfect example of somebody who really yeah. has benefited from MLS in the last 8 years. They get good there's good facilities, there's good coaching. They kind of I think that MLS has really been trying to kind of mimic the coaching and training of a lot of European teams. That's really as close as you can get, I would say. Uh, and I we, I would agree we definitely have seen guys like Torres uh, Roman Torres come in uh, and be that uh, for Panama, kind of the easiest example I would think of. Uh, Blas Perez was spent some time in MLS. Uh, Honduras, I can think of Romel Kyoto and Albert Ellis on Houston. Yep. So it's it's been good. 
I don't think the MLS is good enough for them to get out of this group, though. That yeah, they they are not. Again, you know, I was, I was trying to be nice. I, I will give them one last. Maybe we even caught a, a backhanded compliment. They're extremely frustrating to play against. I think that we've seen that when they're at their highest level, they've even frustrated the likes of Mexico and the U.S. So they're not quite. And also another thing, a lot of people, again, outsiders will know Honduras from this region because they're infamous at the World Cups for their their butchers. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if people would like be offended for me saying that, but they're just they they go in there kicking and kicking and kicking. I don't. You will not see that from Panama. They, I mean, were, they are a little more like graceful defensively, slightly more so. But it's I mean, listen, it's the, it's the whole Concacaf thing. Is Concacaf in general is kind of a a butcher's league because there is the hu- the big gap, uh, and there are the lower teams kind of trying to catch up and do whatever it takes to keep up with Mexico, U.S. and Costa Rica. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple guys. <laughs> going in for some hard challenges here, but it, they're they are not need, Honduras. I will edge. agree with you there. Yeah. You need that. All right, we'll jump then to the third team, Tunisia. They had a three-point lead against the Democratic Republic of Congo going into the last match day with a plus-two goal difference. The Congo won three-one, making up the goal difference, but it was a nil-nil result that put Tunisia over the top against Libya. Here is the final whistle and the reaction after that game. الحكم الزامبي يعلن على نهاية المباراة السيد سيكازوي بنتيجة أقول بنتيجة 2-0 فرحة كبيرة للمدرب أليو سيسي أليو سيسي يعبر عن فرحته استاف كله يعبر Alright, I'll take teams we know nothing about for 500, Bob You mean Alex? Maybe we were doing a little bit of Jeopardy earlier. We've been playing a lot of Jeopardy around so, here these days. There's, there's, I think there's one thing that we can say we know about this team, and that is uh, that Sunderland star Wabi Kazri. <laughs> uh, unfortunately for him, Sunderland has gone down yet again to League One, but he, he came in to the Premier League, um, about, what was it, a year ago, uh, and was kind of electric for Sunderland. They're the one guy who was looking to create things, get goals and assists. I'd like to point out that Sunderland actually loaned this guy out this year because he was deemed surplus to requirements, which will tell you exactly why Sunderland is now playing in League One. Yeah, so a, a talented player, um, kind of, I would say, a, a little bit selfish. He likes to take things on himself, but it's... Kind of have to be when you're playing with Tunisia, right? Yeah, I mean, no, but I mean, that's... A lot of times that's the World Cup in a nutshell for so many of these countries is who can be that guy who does it themselves and makes the impact. Uh, I, I think the best examples in recent memory are James Rodriguez for Colombia and Diego Forlan for Uruguay, just making just long-shot goals, at beautiful shots out of nothing, and eking out victories. That's, that's going to be the, the name of the game for this team, is, is Kazri going to be able to be that guy? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure I have too much more to add to that. And they... They're going to struggle to score. That won't change at the World Cup. I, I just I don't know if I expect too much from them. The thing about them is, and the reason that, that both they and Panama can't be written off completely, is only, is the simple fact that you would think that as somebody will probably win that game between Tunisia and Panama, right? So it kind of gives you life because, okay, so now you have three points. You just need you, a draw. You pull another draw, suddenly things aren't as hopeless as they might have looked when you first started. But, again, I, I don't expect much from the Tunisian side. It just... It, nothing really jumps out at me of what they do other than, you know, just solid, simple playing. And there's something to be said about that, I suppose. 
Yeah, I mean, they have listen. They have a couple guys who play in the French league. Um, so there's a you know we have to assume that there's some talent there. This isn't like um, this isn't like the Saudi team where every single player plays in the Saudi league except for what was it three? Yeah, three and barely played in those three barely played in La Liga. Yeah, and they didn't really get any time. So this is a and listen, they did well in African qualifying. So there's something to be said for them. Um, I do think that they're probably going to try to play a little smash and grab against Belgium and England. But I, I agree with your consensus that the game against uh, Panama and Tunisia is going to be a team where someone's going to need a win. Because you get the win there, it just takes a draw against any other opponent. And four points, if you have a good goal difference, will put you through. We saw the U.S. did it against Portugal last World Cup. It's very possible. That's European champions, Portugal. <laughs> well... There you go. Uh, we move on then to England, the perhaps most polarizing team constantly in world soccer. They were never challenged in their qualifying group and clinched their spot in the World Cup with this stoppage time goal by Harry Kane against Slovenia. Oh, Walker has robbed it. How's the cross? Oh, it's brilliant! And Harry Kane's put it in! Captain Kane in stoppage time sends England to Russia. Well... So it was nice to kind of hear one in English again. It's been a little while. Yeah, so if and, you had if you didn't know what was going on without even without the context, I think you could probably get. It. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh England's 352 has been employed as an attempt to I think get the most out of their players and it actually makes a ton of sense when I kind of sat down and looked at it. So, you know, Kieran Trippier and Danny Rose as the wingbacks, they're going to be dynamic. I'm not sure that they would, you know, it's not that they wouldn't work as fullbacks, normal fullbacks. They've played there before for their clubs, but I think it just gives them that extra freedom that lets them play to their strengths. You know, they both do such a good job going forward. And then you have, you know, a good center back trio behind them, kind of regardless of who Gareth Southgate ends up choosing. Uh, you know, you have Kyle Walker who has played some fullback in himself, almost kind of like emulating that Aspiliqueta move mm-hmm. inside as a center back in a back three. You know, he'll he'll be able to play a lot of good balls. He might be able to make a couple of crosses when he uh, runs up the field. You have John Stones who you know he's been much maligned at times, but he's still a fairly solid defender on his good day. ball playing center back for sure. And then Very Harry from the middle. And then Harry Maguire and Gary Cahill, you know, both, you know, veteran players. I would think Gary Cahill has the edge. I've seen a lot of lineups without him in them, but he is kind of the, he's the captain of England. So yeah. I, I think that he'll have the inside track there on that back line to play there. He also plays in a back line for a back line of three for his club. I think that certainly has got to be in his favor as well. Um, I mean, I think what Maguire has gone from is he is a, a little bit better on the ball. Oh, uh, Gary, Gary Cahill's underrated on the ball, I think. Yeah, but I've seen I, him put some great passes in. But, but I think that uh, Southgate kind of ranks the, the fact that Stones, Maguire, and Walker as a better ball-playing back three than uh, Cahill, Stones, and Walker. Either way, between Maguire, Maguire and Cahill, you got big guys. Guys who are going to be able to get you goals off of set pieces, which is probably what England's going to need at least one of in this tournament for them to have a, a successful run. Um, I was looking at I, I feel like their, their biggest strength and their most depth is at fullback. I mean, we can go through this. Um, I'm going to count Kyle Walker one because okay, yeah, he's no, naturally he could a fullback. Ab- he could absolutely play there, though. He's going to play center back, though. We've, we, I think we've acknowledged that. But he's a fullback. Danny Rose, Kieran Trippier, uh, Fabian Delph, Ashley Young, and Trent Alexander-Arnold. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a pretty solid that's group of fullbacks right six there. Six fullbacks. Okay, well, take, even get rid of Kyle Walker, right? Yeah. There's still five fullbacks. Do you even really need four? I don't think so. But, I mean, you know, Ashley Young's probably around to keep the team 
loose and together, I would think. You know, he, he didn't have he's, a, he's a veteran there, him and Cahill. Yeah, and, you know, look, because you can't have a full team of just, like, Trent Alexander-Arnolds who have very little caps among them. He's 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 a solid player. And, and you know, maybe the, perhaps the deepest fullbacks of any team in the tournament, but maybe just by default, how many teams even took that many, let alone enough that are all starters for their teams and pretty good starters at that. Yeah, so, I mean, I look at Fabian Delph. He's a guy who's uh, natural center mid. Maybe he'll fit in there as a guy. Possible. So it's Ashley Young, a natural winger who is uh, adapted to a wing back. So the, it's 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 not as if these are guys like they're just like oh we're just gonna have three guys waiting to get in at left back. No, th- they can slot in elsewhere. I would assume Ashley Young is probably more likely to come on. Uh, see in, out again in, in an attacking maybe an attacking sense. Delft to maybe see out a game a little yeah. bit of extra legs in the That's midfield. Fair. Um. But this, I mean, this game kind of team kind of comes down to Sterling and Kane up top. Sterling. I don't know how you feel about that, but Ster- they're going to need them for sure because you know, it, especially Harry Kane has been maligned and criticized for his perhaps lack of performing for England at times. Now, of course, I just played you the clip of him securing their place in Russia, but I, it, people do did call him out for his lack of performances at the European Championships two summers ago. This is, I think, his opportunity to sort of write a different sort of story. And, you know, as for Raheem Sterling, I think this is his chance to kind of solidify to everybody that he really is as good as everyone always thought he was going to be. For a long time, he was a player that they were trying and trying to get that potential out of him. And, you know, under Pep Guardiola, he's definitely we've definitely seen more out of him. I still think that for country, it would go a long way in establishing him over there because I think there are still some people that associate him closer to the bust level than they do for the level of, you know, uh, world-class player that he was always supposed to be. I think that's, to be fair, that's a lot of the English team to the English fans. Well, yeah, the but English fans are harsh. You're right in a certain regard. This He hasn't really done anything on the international level. He's really only had this one absolutely stellar season for Man City. Right, and playing for the best team in the Premier League where now there's there's pressure playing in any professional club, but let's be honest with ourselves. He gets to play alongside all those talented players. It kind of masks him a little bit. For sure. You know, you got he's getting fed all over the place. And for a guy with as many goals as he had, he also missed a lot. I don't think they're going to get that kind of chances with England to miss those chances. He's going to have to put them away. Right. Um, they're going to need him to do that because the other thing, too, is... You know, just going back to the other forwards. I mean, you know, Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy's there. I would think that you could play him and Kane together if you needed to. I don't know that that's maybe what they want to do, though. I would think uh, Jamie Vardy would want to be used as a super sub because he's still very fast. Very, very quick. He can unlock a defense. And I would think then that makes him the natural replacement for Raheem Sterling off the bench because Sterling is another guy who runs a lot of, you know, makes a lot of runs in behind, uses his pace to get behind defenders. Going to do the channel playoff of the last shoulder. But then, Absolutely of course, right. that same thing could be said about Marcus Rashford. Yeah. Uh, and even Danny Welbeck. I, I hate to say it, though. I don't think this system really suits Rashford as much. I, I like him kind of on the wing. Um, I would like to see more of him because I think he's an absolutely electric player. But I, I wouldn't put him ahead of Kane and Sterling. Um, I think I'd rather have Vardy coming off the bench in need of a goal. But I, I, I'm hoping I'm going to see him. I'm not hoping I'm going to see too much of Danny Welbeck. I don't know how much he deserves time out there. <laughs> oh, I hate yeah. to say it, but... He, that would be... Yeah, uh, he's there. Let's jump to the midfield really quickly. Jesse Lingard, Jordan Henderson, Eric Dyer, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. It's basically it's basically it for them, other than... Uh, uh, did I mention Deli Ali? Yeah. Okay. Well, now you did. Okay. Well, there you go. I was going to say, I, I was like, I'm missing one. Deli Ali. It's a pretty good pretty good set of bodies to have in there now 
how much time they'll all see, I think will kind of depend on what Southgate thinks that they need out of the game. I think Lingard, Lingard's interesting because Lingard could play, you know, in a more forward role, but under Jose Mourinho, he's played a lot in the midfield and had a lot of defensive responsibility. So it could be that Southgate is looking to capitalize on that. You've already got a lot of width in Trippier and Rose. So he might be asked to tuck in a little bit more in the middle. You know, Jordan Henderson, I think is, they have him listed as like unsung hero. He, he's a pretty quality player that I don't know that ever gets the respect that he may deserve. No, and isn't he the captain of this team? He might be. Yeah. He, I think if Kale's on, on the sidelines, he's the captain. Um, he, he's going to be the mainstay. He's going to be there every minute. I think they're going to line up like this. If they have Ali and Lingard in, it's going to be Ali, Lingard, and Henderson. But I think Lingard and Ali are going to be, kind of be used interchangeably. I think we're going to see Dyer and Henderson kind of sitting further back, and then either Lingard or Ali further forward playing underneath the striker. Uh, I would also be interested to see uh, maybe Sterling or Rashford in that role and playing Kane and Vardy or Kane and Rashford or Sterling, whoever isn't playing underneath. Um Maybe if they need a goal, uh, there would kind of be like three forwards up there. Sterling maybe would end up becoming more of a winger, depending on what they need. Um, but if I think if they did do like Lingard and Henderson side by side, it'd be a little bit. It, it would it would be open to attack. I think it'd be kind of similar to what we saw with uh, Belgium with Witzel and De Bruyne. Uh, yeah. Uh, kind of being open to to attacks. Yeah. Look, I know we we kind of praised them a little bit, but I am not. Totally sold on the defense either because I've you know Walker again playing center back is still sort of fairly new to him, and you have you know Stones who has been known for his meltdowns at times. You know when he's off, he's shockingly bad. And then you know again Harry Maguire and Gary Cahill have both had their own deals bouts with inconsistency at times. There will be very little protection for those guys, so they will get a lot of one-on-one opportunities, and I think that it's. It's something that could be their downfall if teams get enough opportunities against those guys. All it's going to take is one miscue, and I think that the morale of the team would jump straight down because England has that sort of tendency where when things go south, everybody just starts kind of falling apart internally. And I'm not saying that's because they don't have the, the necessarily the fortitude, but the reality is that everybody over there in England just jumps on them the minute they get the chance. The players... You know they feel that pressure. I, you know it's you can be a professional and they at the highest level, they they feel it. And yeah. England, I think their fans provide more pressure than anybody else, which is crazy when you consider the amount of success that they've actually achieved in the last really since the turn of the century. And I, honestly, I think it's their biggest weakness. That other than Kane, they're not really too star-studded. I guess I could get add Sterling in there after a season at Man City. Yeah. But they're generally a bunch of guys who, you know, good. Are, are, are they're good, yeah, right? Great. Stones, I think, has the potential to be a great ball-playing center back. Um, Kyle Walker is a good fullback. Like, these are good players. Danny Rose is a good fullback. They're good players, on, but on, and on their day, they can be great. But when they're not on their day, they're kind of, a lot of them are average. So, and that, and that, you know, that comes back to bite you when you're, it's going to be one thing in the group stage, right? You know, they can probably be average and get out of here, but if they're average against you know, the bigger guys, you know, I think that if they get second in this group and Colombia wins the other one, they're going to against Colombia. Colombia plays with a lot of, you know, hard and determination. It's going to be hard to beat them. If you play average, I don't think they, I don't think they will. I don't think they have what it takes to beat well, Columbia. <laughs> let's not, let's not get too but, far ahead of ourselves, but let's, uh, let's, let's talk yeah. about that. So I, I already just said, I think England will finish second. And then I think I got Belgium finishing first. So. Yeah. I'm with you there. I think that's the first one we agreed on. 
Both uh, picks? Potentially. I think so. I think so. Uh, we'll go back and listen to it. Uh, send a comment <laughs> if you if you remember. Yeah. But um, I, I, I do think that there's just such a big gap between those two and the other two. So Belgium, mm-hmm. England. Fair. All right, last group. We're almost there. Can you believe it? And then we just got to do daily updates throughout the tournament. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that. Uh, group H consists of Poland, Colombia, Senegal, and Japan. We're starting with the group heads. Poland, they had a three-point lead on Denmark in qualifying going into the last game day and were tied on goal difference. Denmark drew to Romania as Poland won 4-2 against Montenegro to seal the spot in the World Cup. Here is Lewandowski's goal to put up Poland 3-2, hopefully in Polish. Ошибается Черногория, дарит гол Лавандовский, 85-я минута, но это уже все. Недолго волновались поляки, переволновались, похоже, сами черногорцы. I've been enjoying uh, putting these together. If nothing else, it gives me a new appreciation for some of these languages. I'm glad you've enjoyed that. I've, I've heard Polish, I think, once. I was on a train, some lady was speaking it. Excuse I, me, I, you've heard it twice yeah, with well, this clip? Yeah, twice, but once <laughs> before this. is definitely this. Polish, I hope. Uh, and I thought it was French, so oh. I, can, I can understand the the, the, the thing, why, the reason why you maybe wouldn't hear it. But, I mean, the names almost seem like Eastern European, so it's kind of like a mixture of that. Uh, Poland, number one seed in this group, but probably That's the weakest shocking. of they the number are, one I, seeds? No, Russia, oh, because they're okay. in pot one. But uh, yeah, other than that, I absolutely agree with you. Poland is by far were, I guess were, because FIFA did change the rankings algorithm, apparently, so we'll see what kind of changes that yields, if any. Uh, the reality is they were by far the weakest pot one team, if you don't consider Russia as part of the pot, because you know they're there because they're the hosts. Yeah, Everyone knows Lewandowski is a very talented player, and I'm just going to go ahead and say the obvious. If you if you think Poland are doing anything in this tournament, then that means you think Lewandowski's coming up big for them. So we talked about his shortcomings for Bayern Munich. It's not quite the same story for Poland. For Poland, he was pretty good in qualifying. In fact, he scored the most goals in all of World Cup qualifying. He was tied, I think, with 13. Astonishing in like 10 games. That's it's it's pretty incredible actually when you bring that up, especially because there are t- oh, I'm sorry, 16 16 goals. He was tied with Mohamed Al Shalawi and Ahmed Khalil. Uh, the first of those playing for Saudi Arabia, Ahmed Khalil of the United Arab Emirates, playing. So these are guys playing in the Asian qualifiers. I'd say probably one of the easier qualifiers. Well, but they had more rounds too. More, more, more rounds against lower end teams. Yeah, there, I mean, there's some like negative 44 goal differences in that yeah, tournament. Yeah, so, so. It, it's I mean, not to discount it, it's scoring 16 goals in World Cup qualifiers is scoring 16 goals in World Cup qualifiers, and it's not like Poland were playing, you know, some high end teams in a lot of their games either, right? You know, UEFA oftentimes gets away with having some some pretty some pretty rough minnows, like Kazakhstan, Armenia. Now, I will say this. I will say this. The Poland's group is not quite as egregious as some others, with like the likes of Moldova and Liechtenstein, Macedonia, Cyprus, Gibraltar. Oh, hey, Macedonia is not that bad. It's Goran Pandev's Macedonia oh, we're goodness. talking about here. Kosovo, you get the point I'm trying to make. Their group had Denmark, a pretty solid defensive team, Montenegro, not a terrible team based on the point totals. I, I don't know anything about them otherwise. Uh, Romania, who we saw at the European Championships, can put in shifts defensively. Armenia and Kazakhstan, who, yeah, okay, they're, they're probably not very good. But... Well, the the point I'm I'm trying to make here is Robert Lewandowski for country, I would argue, has been much better than Robert Lewandowski for club in recent years. And it shows based on the fact that where Poland is ranked in the FIFA rankings and where they are coming into this tournament. 
Others, to get away from Lewandowski a little bit, Camille Grosecki, I think he'll be good, not great creative force. Arcadius Milik is establishing himself nicely as not at Napoli and perhaps provides Lewandowski with a solid partner up top. I think some, somewhat of an underrated thing for a striker sometimes is having a good partner next to you. The guy is willing to make unselfish runs or be the hold-up guy while you're making runs. Um, yeah, and I, even after that, uh, Lucas Teordacek has kind of been very serviceable, hardworking forward for them um, outside of Milik and Lewandowski. Uh, but, I mean, all things considered, I think this is... What the, the biggest thing that Poland has going for them is that they're probably the toughest names to pronounce in the entire tournament. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them, but like, you, you, just reading them, like Wojciech Szczesny sounds easy to to, to, pron- to pronounce, but I mean, look how many Ys and Zs there are. I'm getting a little off track there. Um, but this is a team that's, I think, mostly, most of their talent comes to the center. Lewandowski and Milik up top, obviously. Uh, they have one of the, I would say, one of the stronger center backs uh, in the group in Camille Glick, who was just cleared to play. Uh, he was in, previously injured. Now he'll be playing. Um, uh, Piotr Zielinski maybe will be playing on the wing. Another Napoli guy who's been incredibly talented, uh, said to be the next Kevin De Bruyne. So oh. I, I know De Bruyne is still fairly young, but that's a pretty high praise. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit in many regards. But hey. Yeah. All right. I like the ambition. Uh, I'll give I'll give you a break here. I'll I'll throw one in there. Jacob Blaszkowski, playing for Wolfsburg right now. He's got 99 caps, 20 goals. He's been around a while, and his story is really interesting. I did not know this about him. He he went through horror of seeing his mother stabbed to death by his father. Uh, that's obviously very very dark, but that's a man that's overcome a lot. So. Can I start Borussia Dortmund now at Wolfsburg? Yeah, he's he's um, a solid player. I, I think you'll I think fans will probably be familiar with him and they'll remember him. This is not by any means a bad team, right? You know, the, not belonging in pot one and you know not being a solid team are two very different things, right? They're not a pot one team, but they pretty good. They could be a pot two team. I, I, Denmark's a pot two team. Yeah, I, I think that that'd be that, that would have been fair for um, sure. I, I did kind of breeze over uh, Gregor Kokoviak. Um, How could you do that? Yeah, well, so he had a really bad season at West Brom. But at Sevilla before that, he was absolutely phenomenal in the midfield. So um, I, I mentioned kind of their strength in the middle. Lewandowski, Milik, Rakowiak, Zielinski, Glick um, in that four four two. But on the, on the wing, I guess it was being a little unfair because that right side, that right side's not bad. That's not bad I mean, at all. I mean, look, I, I just, I'm not in love with them. But they're pretty good, and look at this group is as anybody's. So hey, yeah. I mean, like I think that's the reason why we're saying they're kind of not pot one, but they're decent across the board. Like yeah, the right back Pischek and Blazikowski history together probably be able to link up. Lewandowski is probably their only guy who's a real star by yeah. any means. But sometimes that's all you need. To be fair, that that one guy we yeah. mentioned that before. Other than that, across the board, they're they're good players. A couple unknowns. Um, couple guys who maybe are a little bit weaker, but for the most part, solid across the board. There you go. Let's jump then to Senegal. Everybody knows Sadio Mane and Senegal. They qualified fairly easily, finishing with 14 points. It was a 2-0 win in South Africa that sealed the spot for Senegal. Here is the reaction after the final whistle. I actually have zero idea what language this is. Al-Hakam, al 
بنتيجة أقول بنتيجة 2-0 فرحة كبيرة للمدرب أليو سيسي أليو سيسي يعبر عن فرحته أستاف كله يعبر I used Google Translate to for the video description I copy and pasted that and then you know try to find out what language it was it said Indonesian I have zero idea if that's what the video was like talking in I, I'm not sure why there would be a Senegal versus South Africa video in Indonesian but I, I, with the amount of Portuguese highlights I've seen trying to find these clips I guess nothing shocks me anymore it's just what a weird what a weird world huh anyway language doesn't matter the people don't come here for the for the clipping i don't imagine so some do yeah, some some stay for the clipping they have some pretty solid players and i think they're better than i think you might first think you just see the name senegal and you're like huh interesting sadio mane is the big one he had a great year for liverpool if he continues that form he'll help their chances tremendously they have Here's the thing. They don't play very exciting or attacking-minded soccer as so many people would love for every team in the world to do, right? Everybody would love games to literally always end like 9-7. Oh, my God. I mean, I'd hope to be a little bit more defending than that, but I get the point. So that's the thing. A lot of the criticism that I've seen on Senegal's team comes from the fact that a lot of a lot of fans actually – don't like their style of play. They think it doesn't take enough advantage of the you know solid offensive players that they do have. And I would counter that again, having not seen anywhere near enough Senegal to be you know making any kind of uh, you know big time comments on them. I just think that sometimes you have to play within your means. The reality is, as good as Sadio Mane is, he's not. You know, this isn't like if Messi played for Senegal, right? If if Senegal had Messi. I might understand some outrage in not trying to like build the team around him and just trying to play offensively because I mean you might as well, right? He's so good. Sanamani's all right, <laughs> you know, in that in that sense. On the big stage, he's never really been. He's never he's never done anything on this level because you know it's just now his career has kind of taken off in the last couple of years and now here he is getting a chance to do it on the big stage for the first time. I yeah. just think that it's about playing within your means and I'm all right with that. I don't see why anybody would have an issue with that. Yeah, I mean, they. I can see why they, they kind of want to play a little bit more reserved, be a little bit more cautious, allow Sané to kind of do... Uh, do his thing. Ma, uh, Sadio Mane, sorry, to do his thing. Um, I mean, other than that, their, their attack isn't just one man. They they are... They do have other pieces. Uh, Diafra Sacco up top, uh, most likely when we playing striker. Uh, but they do have other options there. And uh, Musa Konate and Mame Biram Du from the uh, relegated Stoke. Um, I'm also excited to see they have two young wingers in Mbai Niang and uh, Keita Balda. There you go. Way to take on the names. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so I'm assuming one of those two will probably be playing. They're both very quick, very electric guys who've been regarded very highly in Serie A. Uh, Niang's still there. He's moved around a, a decent amount, but Balda uh, is out at Monaco. So. Um, but I think one of their strongest pieces that might get overlooked is center back Kaladu Koulibaly, currently playing yep. at Napoli. There you go. Guy is, and I know you're gonna love this, an absolute unit. I love that. He's about six foot five. We can end the podcast right now, right here. Uh, um, I don't, I don't know if you saw that uh, game <laughs> against Juventus where Napoli like challenged for the. It was their first time saying, okay, now we're gonna we're gonna win the title now. Mm-hmm. I think they went in the first for a little bit. Guy jumped over the crossbar to head it home. There yep. Was, I Absolutely unbelievable header. He's he's a freak. <laughs> Which is 
a, a nice way of saying the guy. Is, He's a freak of nature. It's a, it's a compliment, I promise. Yeah. Huge, fast, strong, good football player, too. He's not just... He's not just an athlete. He's also good on the ball. That was why he was playing under Sarri at Napoli. So he's going to be a guy who I think is going to be vitally important to the Senegal team having making any damage in this in this group. Yeah, holding that back line together is key, and not every team has someone like that. Koulibaly is definitely one of the better defenders on a team like this. That is a lot of unknown in many position groups. Obviously, we just touched on some of the attacking players being a little more than the defensive players. I, you know, I, I just think that the players are relatively good in tournaments. You got to grind out results. You got to be willing to do it. And you know what? The best way to do that is to be good defensively. If you don't get scored on, it's difficult to lose. You yeah. might not always win, but it's difficult to lose when you don't get scored on. And, and, and draws can be so important in this it's tournament true. format. It's only, you only get three games guaranteed. You might as well try to get a result in every single one of them. Yeah. All right, then speaking of teams that know how to get results, everybody remembers Colombia's run from the last World Cup. They went into the last match day with a one-point lead on Peru and Chile with a game against Peru. Chile lost to Brazil, and Colombia and Peru seem content, and I say the word content with some quotation marks around it, to play out a 1-1 draw. Here is the final whistle of the game and what it sounded like afterwards. I like the Spanish ones too. At least I can like understand them. But again, you know. the, just the raw emotion. I know I've said that on every single one of these we've done, but uh, that's why I keep going back to them. They've got some great talent on their side. You know, James Rodriguez is back after bursting on the scene. So you know, four years later. After James Rodriguez's big move to Real Madrid, it's been an interesting career for him. Perhaps one that not a lot of us would have expected, right? Because you know, every he was a guaranteed hit as a prospect coming out of that World Cup, and you know, at, at first it was working out fine, and then he started to kind of find lose his way in the squad. It seemed like he was kind of phased out because he just didn't fit the systems that. The, managers running Zidane and him clearly were never on the same page in terms of what he wanted him to do and eventually he was loaned and with a, like a, a, a buy clause like a mandatory buy clause to Bayern Munich where he's done pretty well for them he's he, kind of displaced Thiago he's definitely improved and I think that it was it was a good change of scenery for him the fact is that move to Real Madrid at first was was like I said it was great for him but it, it clearly it clearly something just happened and it was nice of him to get a, a change of scenery because they need him he is, for all intents and purposes, he is Colombia. So important. Uh, I think it kind of had to do with him playing through the middle and being the main creator, which is what he is at Colombia. At Real, he wasn't really getting that opportunity. Here, he's playing under the striker. He's the guy who's he going to facilitate. He's the right? facilitator. And this is, I would say, as strong a Colombia team as we've seen, by all rights. They still have Falcao. Whether you think he's kind of fallen off, you know, that's up to you. Uh, Certainly four years ago, you wouldn't have thought that four years later he would still kind of be not only the number one striker, but not just by necessity. This guy is flat out a, still a very good player with his resurgence in Monaco after, of course, kind of, you know, he, he goes to Chelsea and just completely, you know, bottoms out there. Man United, too. He had a spell there. Yeah. So, But he, he's a goal scorer. And the, the thing is that they do have behind him. Uh, they do have Carlos Baca, who I'm a big fan of uh, for Milan. He's getting a little bit older. 31, but he's a solid forward. And then a guy who we're all kind of waiting for to step up, Luis Muriel, 
finally kind of started finding himself under Sevilla, which I think is kind of a common thing. Finding yourself at Sevilla. Yeah. They should Um, use that as a tagline, find yourself at Sevilla. Um, So he's kind of been good there. But this is a team that still has their pieces from last time around. Uh, Quadrado, Hama, as we mentioned. And now they've all been there before. Yeah, they have the the experience. They still have Carlos Sanchez as that destroyer in the midfield. Um, But I think one of the bigger things they have now is they have a a, a better defense. Um, Davidson Sanchez... Uh, from Spurs will be there uh, starting in the back most likely and alongside Yuri Mina who is technically still at Barcelona but I've given to understand that he will not be there much longer uh, yeah and then Oscar Murillo also gets a decent amount of time at them in the back Santiago Arias has been a long time right back for them I could have sworn that guy was probably like 35 he's 26 <laughs> it's been there forever um, or felt like at least so I, I think that that's the thing that their defense was always pretty weak they're forced to play guys like Christian Zapata, who I was never a big fan of, who does play at Milan also. Uh, now they kind of have better options. Def- yeah, they have better defenders. Yeah. Uh, the one thing for me, I don't know that he's a starter, and I, I, I don't know that he'll see much time outside of coming on as a sub, but Mateus Uribe for my Club America, I love his style of play. He is, he's a, I think he's a sneaky pick to get some quality plays in the group stage because I think that there will be a lot of bunkering in in this group and just trying to just wait each other out, see who's going to flinch first. Because, again, I don't know that the talent disparity is all that high. Even Colombia, who I consider the best team in the group, I'm not even sure is really all that much better than Poland, just, you know, man for man. And then after that, you know, like I said, I I wasn't thinking that Poland was much better than Senegal. And then we will still have to talk about Japan. Colombia, for me, I think could use Uribe coming off the bench. Like I said, he, he puts in some fantastic balls. I think he's ready for a bigger stage to kind of go out there. He's already he had some great success in South America when in some Copa Libertadores matches. So I don't think the big stage will phase him. You know, you talked about the defense, and I was going to bring up the defense too, but it's a better defense, but it's also a more inexperienced defense. Those guys are pretty young. Yeah. Mina and uh, Sanchez. And Sanchez are still fairly young guys now they I, I think that they're very talented players don't get me wrong but there is something to be said for you know the the big lights the bright lights coming on at a certain point and having to perform and so you know David Ospina as well didn't exactly have his best yeah. season for Arsenal and now to be fair neither but basically nobody at Arsenal had a great season so but you know he wasn't exactly fantastic either you would think that that form probably doesn't carry into the tournament but if it does suddenly you've got a veteran goalkeeper who's struggling with his form. You've got, you know, relatively, at least, inexperienced center backs. Sometimes that can be a recipe for disaster in itself. Yeah, I mean, you leak a goal here or there. It could be mean disaster for it. And he, I don't think he's just been, you know, average. I think he's been pretty poor for Arsenal. Playing as a backup to Petr Cech, really only playing in the Cups, hasn't yeah, been I, impressive at all. Peter Cech hasn't, Petr Cech has not exactly been great himself. Yeah, no. He's, he's so. very clearly entered the twilight of his career. I think hopefully for Ospina and Colombia, he'll he'll be better. He hasn't even in like in friendlies recently he hasn't exactly been great. He has a couple howlers here and there. He's gonna have to hold them off if Colombia were gonna make any sort of run, which I think they're entirely capable of. Right. Then that's one last team to go here. Japan with one game to spare. Japan qualified for the World Cup with a two nil win over Australia. Here is the Japanese reaction to the final whistle. I think I could not think of a better language to finish with here with these clips. Something about the Japanese language just always amuses me. 
You're a fan of it? I'm a fan of it. And also, the over-the-top graphics that they, like, put on the screen. And maybe it's just because I can't read them, but it looks hilarious. <laughs> so, like, there was a giant, like, Japanese graphic, which I can only assume Japan, Japan qualifies for World Cup or something like that. It was it was fantastic. So, uh, thank you, Japan, for f- providing us with a nice way to finish out our group stage sound bites. Japan has been in every World Cup since 1998, a mainstay from Asia. Now, they've been alternating, going from the group stage and getting to the round of 16. So, the group stage in 98 and then the round of 16 in 02, so on and so forth. What I'm saying is they're basically due for a run in the knockout stage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I disagree. I don't think this is their time for is... a run in the knockout stage. Listen, they're, they're a fine team. They're always well-organized. They're always disciplined. But uh, they have, you know, nice little talented players. They're tidy. But they're not always strong at the back, um, and they're not always that quick, susceptible to pace, set pieces, uh, which is you know is a huge problem in a tournament setting like the World Cup. Right. And it's why they've struggled so far. Um, they do have a lot of players playing in the Japanese league. They'll be happy to be playing against uh, Andres Iniesta soon. Uh, but they do have a couple recognizable names. Uh, some guys like Kazuke Honda, Honda, who's generally stepped up in the World Cup. I, love, I do like me some Kazuke Honda. Uh, but and the club scene has kind of been disappointing. Shinji Kagawa, um, kind of going to be their creator, the guy they're going to rely on. Uh, and then, you know, Shinji Okazaki for for Liverpool. Uh, not Liverpool, Leicester. Starts with an L. Uh, there you go. Close enough. Uh, Hart, I mean, he's a hardworking guy. And then Yuto Nagatomo, uh, formerly from Inter, is a really small but hardworking wing back, I think it's kind of the, kind of the the basically what you think. He kind of sums up Japan pretty well. Small, hardworking, <laughs> kind of quick, but not that okay, fast. That's fair. Some of that's fair. And Maya Yoshida. Yeah, I mean, look, it's for me. It comes down to this. You've mentioned basically everybody I wanted to mention, so I'm not going <laughs> to. Well, you can it. expand on something. I have nothing to expand other than I've watched Kasuki Honda and Liga MX, and I've always liked his play style. So when the rumors come about that he's coming to MLS, I've welcomed them to be honest, because I think he would suit the league very well. Uh, the only other one I wanted to mention was Wako- Makoto Hasabi at Eintracht Frankfurt. I mean, he's a pretty solid player in his own right. Uh, I, I guess I rate them a little higher than you do, if only slightly. I rate them a little higher than you do, so I think that that's what makes this my personal group of death, is just that I just can't say, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that my pick to win the group, Colombia, is that much better than everyone else. And the, the the gap just gets smaller and smaller every time I get through a team. So that's just the way I see it. And so I, I guess, you know, let's not even belabor the point. I've, I've picked Colombia to win the group, and I've actually I'm taken Senegal to finish second. Interesting. Um, I See, I, I know you're saying about the group of death. I think it's the uh, you, you mentioned this before. Maybe it's more of a group of life. The group of life. That's, I mean, you could look at it that way, too. No it's dominant team. But. It is literally anybody's to grab. If you, Any of these four teams should be absolutely ecstatic with the draw that they had. Because at the end of the day, there nobody can come into this and say, oh, well, how could we possibly compete with insert yeah. team here? The reality is every single one of these teams should come into this thinking that they can absolutely get out of this group. Get a result against anyone. And you never know. You get to the knockout stages, you really just never know. So that must be exciting for those fans. So I'm going to go with, I think, Colombia. Yeah, they're going to win the group. I think Poland, everyone's kind of been down on them for being the kind of the weakest pot one team. What are they doing here? What are they doing here? I do think that they're strong enough to get out of this group and finish second. Uh, maybe come close to first. I think Colombia is just a better team all around, more experience here. So Colombia, Poland. All right. Well, that does it for the group wrap-ups. We made it. That, was, uh, that wasn't too bad, was it? I hope not. For the people <laughs> listening and sticking through it, you're... Thanks. 
hope you learned something. I hope. Yeah, I mean, I learned plenty doing this. Uh, I now know more about a lot of these teams than I did before, and I now can at least have somewhat of a conversation about at least one player on every single team. At least I hope so. So that's got to be that's got to count for something. The one last thing I wanted to do before we jump off here is look at the brackets as a whole. Now I don't need to go through every single team because we can talk about the knockout stages when the knockout stage begins and you know we have an actual bracket to go through right now we would just be filling out our own like personal bracket so we'll, we'll jump straight to the semifinals who are your semifinalists and who you have going to the final okay i got uh uruguay and brazil in one argentina and germany another i got argentina and brazil going through brazil gonna win it all ah, interesting we agree a lot there the only difference is i have france beating uruguay and then i have france losing to brazil in that first semifinal and second semifinal, I have Argentina and Germany, and I have Brazil beating Germany in the final, which is interesting because this is not what I had originally. Uh, if you'll remember when we talked about the Spanish one, I had them very highly ranked to the point where I was actually going to have Spain going to the final and losing to Brazil. But because of all the uncertainty now with the manager being let go and heading to Real Madrid and every, everybody kind of in flux, I'm changing my my tune and i'm taking argentina over the spain in the quarterfinal and then argentina into the semifinals to lose to germany and then brazil getting their revenge on germany once and for all in the world cup final yeah so pretty similar i think the difference is i had peru winning my group instead of france and france running into the buzzsaw of argentina i did change spain to finishing second in that group i think with the struggles i i couldn't take them off of first but so I, I'm not going to change anything there. I'm going to keep them winning that group. So there you have it. Hopefully we'll be able to get some more World Cup discussions in as these groups start to unfold, and we'll see which of us ends up uh, <laughs> with a better bracket. With we'll a better see. bracket, I think. Uh, I think we both. I, mean, I think there's kind of a template out there, and we've done our best to not kind of not stay directly on that. Uh, so there's always one dark horse. That's what the, that's what the fun about it is, right? You got to yeah. play the tournament. Yeah, exactly. You could do all the brackets you want. You still got to play the games. That's all the time we have here on the American Soccer Show World Cup Edition. This is the last of our group previews. Be sure to check out our previous ones on groups A through, what is it, H? Yeah, well, uh, the previous ones would be A through Well, F. all of them. A through all F. A through H. We have Listen all, to all H groups. All the wonderful H is content a number. we have for all you people. Um, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher for all your American and World Cup soccer needs. I'm Emmett McConnell alongside Eric Alcantor signing off.